Vodka. 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 Vodka Hello everyone, it's Amber Love from Vodka Clock Podcast, and this is another special episode of a panel that was recorded at Special Edition New York. So this is the writers panel with Marguerite Bennett, Greg Pak, Charles Sewell, and uh, moderated by Jim Zub. So uh, take uh, a listen, let me know what you think. And um, that pretty much wraps up the special edition coverage that we have at amberonmass.com. So don't forget that you can sponsor the show on the website. Go to patreon.com slash amberonmasked. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Man, the legend Charles Soul is, but we're gonna get this thing underway. Nice. Yeah, he'll be here. He's running on the Soul Train. He's running on Soul Time. It's fine. Anyways, thank you very much. Uh, welcome to New York Special Edition. Hope you guys are having a good day, or interested in enjoying sitting down. We are thrilled to be here, and uh, we love seeing tons and tons of comic fans, comic readers. So you're here either because you're relaxing your feet, or because you want to find out about comic book writing. Or both, and we're thrilled to give you a little bit of information. So uh, this is our little panel called uh, Pitching and Writing Comic Stories, Writers Unite. Why are you going to listen to us? <laughs> well, we're going to tell you who that we are first. So let me just go through a bit here. On the far right, lovely, wonderful Marguerite Bennett. Give it up for her. Our favorite sponsor, Lobo, and Assassin, and many, many more titles. You can find her online at Evil Marguerite. Wonderful Greg Pack, give it up for him. Creator of Most Like Fun, Like to Save the World, Princess and Save Yourself, which is on sale at yes. this show for the first time. Yes, Tim or, or come and find me after the panel. Oh, good stuff. He's written action comics, Batman, Superman, Storm, Hercules, and many, many more titles. Currently missing, but will be coming up at some point. Charles Soule, give it up for him, even though he's in he'll be here. There he is, the man. Oh, okay, give him a clap again because he's walking up the middle. He wanted the hero's entrance, clearly. What a stud. High five, man. High five, and do it down the line. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like it. Where's the flaming hoop? He needs the flaming hoop. He's going to get up to the front. He's going to tear the basketball tie. Anyway, okay. 27, Strange Chapters, Letter 44, Strongman. He wrote Death of Wolverine. He killed Wolverine. But we still like him. She owns him, man, Wonder Woman, and Human Swamp Thing. And myself, I'm Jim Zub. Uh, got crayon tiles like Wayward Sculpting, there's a Mention Miracle. Samurai Jack, Crimson Dragons, Figment, Legends of Dark Knight, Red Sonya, all kinds of stuff. So we've written a whole host of titles. We've worked for pretty much every major comic publisher in North America, between the four of us. And some minor ones. And some minor ones, and that's okay too. And so the first question we always get asked whenever people want to talk to us about comics is, how did you get your start? How did you get here? What is your origin story? So starting over at the right, Audrey, how, how did you get here? I mean, not just like showing them here on the train, but like... That's a Kieran Gillen answer. Nice. Um, no, uh, I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, even from when I was a little kid, my dad would like take a computer paper that you still had to like, you know, pull like the tag off the edges and like flip it and see what so that I can write and illustrate my own stories. Um, so after I finished up my undergrad, I had rather uh, a, crisis, a crisis of confidence realized that, you know, there was no more like, oh, no, it's, you can just discover yourself. It's like, now you have to produce. No one is going to do this for you. And, you know, your, your clock is only, is only ticking. Um, and so, uh, the following 18 months, I worked three jobs and I wrote a novel. And I used the novel as my entire portfolio to get into a creative writing program at Sarah Lawrence College, um, just north of the city. And it was there that I met Scott Snyder, um, who taught a comic writing and graphic novel writing class. Um, and, you know, I brought him some of my responded like very positively to them and we kept in touch and a year later he reached out to me and said you know I keep thinking you know about the story that you turned in and if this is something that you want I think you're ready to do this professionally and you know would you like me to make an introduction for you at DC and so he introduced me to my cards who was then the head Batman editor um, and so then I you know jumped through like the lovely groups of fire um, you know like how how do you take notes you know how do you work with an editor how do you work with an artist how quickly can you turn around you know uh, how you know what are the quality of your pitches? You know how many ideas can you generate? Um, you know and how long do you take it? Um, and but they liked my work and uh, hired me formally. And then the very first published comic that I had was the Batman 
I'm from Toronto, Canada, so I apologize for everything. But um, I thought that you had to live in New York or be in, in America in order to write comic books. So I got into animation because that was my other passion was animation and animated art, uh, sort of traditional Disney style uh, artwork and animation. So I, I trained in that, worked in Canadian animation for several years, and then um, when there was a lull in, in uh, work, I ended up hooking up with a group called the Udon Studio, and they were doing all sorts of comic book work and toy design uh, for all kinds of different companies. And I learned about the business, I learned about management and editing and sort of all the bits and pieces that I didn't know at the time, but that I would end up using when I did my own creator-owned stuff. So by the time I uh, pitched sort of my first big creator-owned series in, for 2000, well this would have been 2008, and then it was published in 2010 called Skull Kickers. And that really got me sort of, I was doing other work before that, but that was the book that really kind of broke me out and got invisible to a lot of people. And a lot of the other stuff I've done is sort of rolled out from there. You know, each new project, hopefully, you know, kind of expanding and building on it. I think what you sort of notice with all of us is that there's a kind of a buildup of work. In many cases, it's not just about putting out a story or saying, okay, you know, I make a comic book, but it's about understanding or building what we're trying to understand the craft or understand how to make comics. I know in Charles' case, although you didn't get the full breakdown, you did a bunch of short stories. Yeah. So when you when you're when you're starting out, um, I think many of us probably in this room have a have a 75 issue maxi series. We have our own Sandman, we have our own Creature, we have our own whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, in our heads, it's it's, the, it's this book that we've been building for decades, and we're just ready to do it. We can do it right now. The truth is, you, even if you can, even if you're that good, no one's going to publish it. Um, so, so the way that you you get noticed is by doing smaller stories. Um, I I always tell people, you know, audiences of this panel tend to be sort of ranging from people who are accomplished and have projects ready to pitch now and want to know how to pitch them to people who are just starting out as writers and want to know literally how to write comics. Um, and I think sort of the same advice can apply to both, right? You know, you can take um, you know, a one-page or two-page story, a script, and then you execute it with an artist in a way that can fully kind of express the idea. So, and it's a lot simpler to do that than your 75 issue maxi series. And when it's done, you have a sample that you can show an editor or something like that. So, you know, you don't have to get everything that you write drawn um, because writing is cheap, drawing is expensive. But you know, let's say you're trying to figure out how to write a comic. You know, give yourself different ideas, right? So I'm going to write a one-page story that's a fight. I'm going to write a one-page story that somebody asks somebody on a date. I'm going to write a one-page story that involves rain. Um, you I do those... write a one, a, a three-page story of a date that turns into a fight in the rain. Yes, absolutely. You know, like that—that that was very. That's great. You should do that. Um, so, but the point is that you're, you know, you're, you're working on being able to, to use those skills because in one 20-page script, you might have to do all of those things and do them all perfectly, but it's like little, little test cases. They don't take a lot of your time and you're not, you're not spending those six months working on that idea. It's just, all right, you know, whatever, whatever. And then as soon as your skill set is there, then you kind of move on and you, you start doing other things. So that's a very specific thing, but, you know, there's more to it than that. So, Greg, when you were starting out, you were doing film first. You did, like, short films yep. and scripts and yep. treatments for those. And what Charles just said applies directly to that, you know. Uh, I started film school in 1993, uh, and I thought I was a genius. Um, I might have been, I don't know, it's kind of hard to tell but at this point, but uh, I was not. No, I was not a genius. I uh, had a lot to learn, and I needed to go to a place where people who had no investment in my emotional well-being would tell me what they thought about my work. Um, and that was film school, uh, and it was hard, um, but it was great. Um, and I made a ton of short films. I made several short films as part of the program that were sort of required by the program. I made several more short films uh, that were uh, just using the equipment and doing it on the side, you know what I mean? I, by hook or by crook, I just made a ton of shorts. I mean, I think uh, uh, I also ended up doing a series of PSAs for the New York County Medical Association, which was a, just a kind of uh, crazy thing that I was able to hook on the side, um, and that and that was like doing twelve more little short films. Um, Things like don't drink gasoline. Well, it was like you know bicycle safety and wear a helmet and stuff. But each one had a little bit, nice. a little bit of story. Yeah, wear a helmet, kids. Um, but uh, but every but but it's very similar to what Charles was talking about. Every one of those little shorts um, had its own little challenges. Uh, and had a story that had a beginning, middle, and an end. 
So by doing that short thing, it was a thing that I could shoot over a weekend um, with the small amount of money or the small and, and, and the friends that I could scrounge up for a weekend. And we could bang it out, I could get it done, and then I could get it out in the world and see if it worked. Um, and learn from it. Um, and then walk away and do the next thing, you know. Um, as opposed to, you know, uh, working on a single feature film for 20 years. Yeah. And also having that thing where the first, you know, like the first three scenes I shot are horrible, and then I get better as the thing goes on. So that by the end, anyway. But but I, I highly recommend that that process of doing a bunch of short things and learning from that. I also was drawing uh, comic strips around this time. Uh, I drew comic strips for the Korean Times. English edition, uh, a, a strip called American Soul. Um, this was back before web comics, and I actually put them online, uh, you know, years ago. But um, but that was also really educational. And this was before I ever knew that I was going to eventually have a career in comics. But any opportunity I had to do storytelling, uh, I would jump on. You know, I did wedding videos because there was storytelling involved. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but all of those different things. Any chance you can get to you were taking classes for writing. You had done a novel before that, and you did a bunch of other writing. How much sort of assignment work did you guys do in that class? Um, well, in Scott's class was different because um, it was, you know, there was a portion of it that was uh, reading, you know, not necessarily the canon of graphic novels um, or comics, but, you know, uh, just sort of a selection of, you know, things that he thought were very accomplished about character or about, you know, about art style, about pacing, um, you know, about doing things that only comics can do. So, uh, you know, part of the class was studying sort of like, you know, the texts that have come before, and part of it was creating your own and incorporating those lessons. Um, honestly, you know, it's sort of funny because, you know, it wasn't remotely uh, related to comics, but one of the best classes, um, most useful for writing, and most useful especially for this medium, was a short story class that I took. Um, a professor uh, named David Hollander, um, who still teaches at Sarah Lawrence, um, and, you know, he gave us, like, you know, just these, these few lists for short stories, and it was having to generate a new idea every week. Because you've got, you know, oh, the novel, well, everything suddenly becomes about that character, about that setting, about, you know, that focus and theme, and, you know, uh, the, the second story, the meaning that, you know, you want the readers to walk away with um, from, the, from the book. Um, but having the short stories forced you not to be so precious about it. You can't start, yeah,
I did a, my first comic that I made was actually an online comic I did in 2001 to 2002, and I was working away on this thing doing three games a week, just for my own kind of methodical, oh, I gotta do this, my day job was not fun, this was an outlet for me to sort of create this thing, and people started reading it and sharing it. And back then it was all about getting people to bookmark your site, and nowadays it's a heck of a lot easier, but slowly building up an audience. And then eventually other people that were making comics reaching out, telling me they liked it, and building up those friendships and that kind of broader social network. Um, but I think what's really sort of true across the board, whether it's, you know, Margaret writing a novel, or Greg doing his films, or Charles doing short stories and stuff, I'll, whether it's the subject matter, make sure that you're writing stuff that means something to you. I know it seems like you want to sort of, I think you can game the system or kind of be like, well, I'm going to write something that will blow these guys away, but it's got to be something you care about or are knowledgeable about or are willing to dig deep and research on. Because when it's difficult and when it doesn't work, I think we can also say it just becomes hell to work on. You can't, you know, it's hard to fake being amazing in a particular area or focusing on a genre or a thing that you're not actually passionate about. I think, you know, obviously you've got your background as a lawyer, but I think you've also got all kinds of the world that you travel and do all kinds of First book I had ever ever had out for image is called 27. And 27 is a book about a, a rock guitarist who uh, you know basically needs to deal with the devil so he doesn't die at 27 like Jimmy Hendrix. It's, it's a hell of a read, very uplifting. Um, and I've been a musician myself since I was three years old. My mom had me playing violin at three. Uh, and so I've, I've been in a million bands. I've, I've studied composition. I've done all that stuff. And so when it came time to write uh, a, a project that I knew that I could write with some authority, and I think that's the key word, right? Authority. Um, music was an obvious go-to for me. And, and yours might not be music. It probably isn't music. I mean, who knows what you got? But there's something that you know better than anybody else. Whether that's washing dishes at a, at a shitty job, uh, at a terrible job. No, there's no kids. At a shitty job. Uh, whether it's you know uh, piloting an airplane, whether it's going you know being a grad student, whatever the thing is that you do that you know, you start there, right? And you can layer in other things, but I think authority is something that's very important. And you get it through either life experience, which you have, or you get it through a hell of a lot of homework and research, and that's another way to get it. But writing with authority, deep readers can feel it, they know it, and it's really it's crucial to have. Even in like superhero stories, like the you know the four kind of plot, you know, like or or. or you know, fantasy stories or whatever it is, like things that are detached from reality, like find a way to get your authority into it and it'll feel real. So I guess sort of ties in, I've got to say, I like to, you know, write what you know, but try to know a lot. I think it's about more than just reading comics. Obviously comics are important, we all love it, we all obsess over it, but try and broaden your interests, read about the world, read the news travel to places, have experiences, because those are going to interject themselves into your stories as much as possible. Along those lines, uh, I recommend, I highly recommend taking, you know, if you have the opportunity to take a job that's a little scary, that you don't quite know it, do it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've definitely taken jobs because I wanted to learn more. You, know? you mean like a, like a job job or like a writing job? Like a writing job. I mean, probably that applies to job jobs too. Unless it's brain surgery, in which case I highly recommend you. You actually learn that subject before you take the job. Um, but, uh, you know, for example, I, I was offered uh, Magneto Testament, which is uh, a miniseries that I did uh, about uh, Magneto's origin story. And it's a Holocaust story. We did it as a straight historical fiction, we made it as historically accurate as we possibly could. And I thought I had a pretty good background to dive into that, just because I had done some, you know, I, I, I knew a pretty good amount. I had actually even studied German in high school and college, and uh, I had a pretty good graphic history, but um, but there's, you know, a huge amount to learn, and I was scared, you know what I mean? But I kind of thought that being scared was good, you know what I mean? Like, I took a job that would force me to, that would require me to learn a lot and grow, you know what I mean? Like, that's also a big motivation for being a writer, I think. It's just the, the desire to understand stuff. You know, I think writing is thinking. We're compelled to write because we want to think through stuff that confuses us. I mean, that's one reason. Um, and uh, so taking jobs, you know, like... Is that what, because I, I never put it in the, like, that's an interesting way to put it. I, you write because it, one of I mean, many reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, but because it helps you think, think, think things through the confusion. I think so. Yeah, to try to make sense of the world. You know, I mean, like, 
you know, I mean, writing is, when you write, you're imposing story on a series of events, you know, and, and uh, those series of events may mean something totally different to somebody else, they may mean nothing at all, but when you put them in a certain order and try to describe them in a certain way, you are trying to make sense of it. When you're working on your books, what sort of research or what kind of... Just don't get me wrong. I mean, probably. Yeah, I, I probably do. <laughs> I mean, it all, it all varies by project for me. Sure. Um, you know, with bombshells, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make it an alternate history of World War II um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, like, you know, part of it was I wanted to sort of, like, I didn't want to have to, like... I didn't want the exclusion of characters uh, for fear of characters of color. Um, and for the sake of historical accuracy. Um, you know, and, which even then, you know, is so horrible and dismissive. Uh, and, sorry, this is like, like, I'll get off this soapbox. Um, well, you're right, you know, usually, usually wrong, because yes. usually those people were there. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it gets, it gets blanked out of the media that you're fed, and the media that you're fed is what you regurgitate as opposed to the actual, you know, history. Right, right. Um, and so, uh, you know, but it's but just, you know, sorry, second back in. Um, with bombshells, you know, it was really easy for like the first uh, few months that we were working on to take the bog down, um, you know, just the research uh, sort of at the expense of like the blood and the heat of the story. Um, you know, like what, what made, you know, you passionate about it. Um, so, but it, it varies by project. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. <laughs> Once, if, if you are an artist and you're able to draw your own story, it's great, more power to you. But if you're not, then you've got to find collaborators. And that's a whole other subject. We could do a whole panel collaborating with artists and working with other people. But as much as possible, you have to understand that whatever you do is going to be judged based on that artwork. People are going to look for a professional quality page. And it's hard for them necessarily to see a professional quality story if it doesn't have a professional quality artwork. Yeah. You know. And lettering. God, lettering is so, so, so important. Make sure it's readable. Make sure you go through and be diligent about making a professional quality work. It's going to be compared to the stuff that you like. It's going to be compared with the publishers that you want to be published by. It has to stand up against that quality part. Yeah, anything that you anything that you put in front of an editor should be. You should never have to say, well, you know, I was rushed, so don't like any of that sort of disclaimering means you shouldn't be showing it to an editor. Anything you show an editor should be as good as anything that's on the shelf already. Otherwise, there's no point in showing it to an editor. Just do another thing, which goes back to the whole one, two, three-page stories because those don't take a lot of investment. But an editor can be just as impressed by one-page story as it can be by a twenty-page story. And your investment of time and money and everything is a lot less on that one page. Absolutely. So if you've got an idea, once you've built up some understanding of the form and you've got a sense of the craft, now you need to try and get your idea or show it to a publisher or give them a sense of what you want to do for a concept, and that involves pitching. Pitching is different than the writing process, but it does share, obviously, a lot of different elements. And the question you're trying to answer in pitch is, why should a publisher choose your comic or your story over someone else's? If they have to choose between all these different things, what do you have that is interesting or unique or is so well polished or so well put together that it's inviting, it's engaging, that they're going to want to publish it? You have to organize and sell up your ideas into a short and concise picture. I think this is one of the most common mistakes I see when people want to tell me about their stories. They assume that complexity equals professionalism. And so they want to bring like a giant 400-page telephone book and drop it in front of someone and go, this is my magnum opus. You have to, you know, this is going to change your life. But the reality is, if you think about it for a minute, you empathize and you realize, wait a minute, if I was an editor, I can't look at 100, 400 page documents. I can't look at even a 10 page document or a 20 page document every single time I want to see if someone's got a good idea. It's got to be short, it's got to be concise, and it has to be a, an idea that you can sum up and deliver and communicate. I can quickly, so I have this series called Letter 44 that I'm working on now. It's a creator-owned series out there running press. It's been going for a while. Um, and the, uh, the quick, super quick pitch, like what I would tell someone, just like what's about it, I would say, a U.S. president gets elected, finds out that the previous president's administration found aliens in the asteroid belt, covered it up. So now it's his problem to deal with. You know, it's done. It's one sentence, and, and you can sort of see what that story is about, uh, and, and off you go. Yeah, well, um, back in the day, I wrote Planet Hulk, 
And, uh, and the, the quick pitch for that is the Hulk gets shot off into space by the heroes of Earth who decide it's too dangerous for Earth. He ends up on an alien planet where he goes from slave to gladiator to conquering emperor. And, uh, and that's the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, so, 
Um, and folks like Brian Michael Bendis have written how-to books. Uh, Gail, uh, Gail Simone put together a Tumblr, which has tons of practical advice on how they can comics on it. Yeah, there's... I've got a bunch of tutorials on my site. All, I've got script samples, pitch samples. I've got sort of how to pitch. I've got how to sell stuff at conventions, all kinds of things. Charles has got a killer series. Uh, uh, yeah, it's called Agree to Agree. It's on my blog, which is just when you get it at charlesholt.com. But it's, you know, my, my other career, my, my day job, so to speak, is being an attorney. Uh, and so I wrote up a whole bunch of posts about, you know, when, when you when you enter into a collaborative agreement with a writer, a letterer, artist, colorist, whatever, it's kind of what those agreements should look like. When you're talking to a publisher uh, and, and you sign over your ideas, what you should be looking for in those agreements. I mean, you know, I, I even I, as a trained contract reading guy, that's what they call lawyers, trained contract reading guys, contract that's reading the professional guy, term. As a, as a trained contract reading guy, you know, I mean, you know, you can understand the deal on the, on the page, but yet there's a whole, like, another layer of what it can actually mean for you professionally in the business, and sort of interpreting all that is, is really, frankly, difficult. Uh, it's, a, it's very much an experience thing, and I, I, there are decisions I made early in my career that I would probably not make now, um, but anyway, yeah, agree to agree, it's on my blog, you know, there's a whole bunch of yeah. Networking is easier than you think. Marguerite's the master of this. <laughs> As of last night, she was a master. Master. Awesome. Anyways, networking is easier than you think. Tell us. What you, tell us about your, your network. Tell us about just sort of the social end of the thing. Oh, okay. Well, not, don't say anything illegal here, but. Uh, sorry. I'd like... No, no, no. I put you on the spot. I apologize. It's okay. But the, the reality is that a lot of us, there's a social component to any industry, there's a social component to your job and whatever you do. And there's one here as well, and I think it's built on an idea of mutual respect, and it's built on an idea of, you know, being a cheerleader for each other's work and excited about what we do. And going out and talking about and supporting each other, that's all part and parcel of this thing. I, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest things I can say along those lines is cast your bread upon the water. Yeah. Um, you know, do unto others. You know, like, the, the more you, uh, you know, it's not, like, make friends and support good work, and uh, folks will support your work, you know what I mean? Like, the best, the best, uh, uh, the best thing that will sell your, your, your work is uh, people, uh, other respected writers and, and artists saying it's good. In public, you know? But the, the thing about that, right, is that so so everybody in the audience here, um, you might you might look at, at Jim and say, Hey Jim's very accessible, he's a guy that I can go talk to, it's not true. He will as soon as this panel's done, he's not your friend, he won't talk to you. But the people who are in your row, you know, maybe they will. You know, everyone in this in this room is, is aspiring to become a comic creator and my, my theory of this is that you can access someone on on your your rung of the ladder anyone below you, and then someone one rung above you. Maybe if you get really lucky, you can get somebody two rungs above you. But you're not going to go up to Axel Alonso, who's editor-in-chief of Marvel, or you know, Bob Harris, who's editor-in-chief of DC. They're just not going to pay any attention to you. Um, but, you know, you all climb that ladder together, so the people on the rungs around you are all climbing up. And as just as Greg pointed out, like, I think any of the four of us on this panel, we all read and really respect each other's work, and we give each other a nod, or a retweet, or like, you know, or, or you know, a mention to an editor, or whatever the support is, because we all kind of come up together, we know how hard it is, and we all, have, as part of that, have read and enjoyed each other's work. So, you know, don't, don't, I mean, shoot for the stars if you want to, but, but really it's the relationships you're building right now at your level that will pay dividends forever. forever. It's not something where you can walk into the room and just say, oh, who's the most powerful person? It is about talk to everyone, interact with everyone. You have no idea. First of all, you're going to make tons of great friends, and then you're going to realize how much you all have in common in terms of being creative and wanting to do things. But you have no idea where you're going to be five years from now, ten years from now. Some of the people that I work with now are people that I, I grew up through this industry with. Uh, one of the first shows that I did with Skull Kickers, it was Charles and Curtis Reed and uh, Nate Evanson and Brian Glass, and we all went in for dinner that night because we were celebrating that we had our books that had just come out. And we went for dinner and we were like, hey, this is so cool. We're all kind of at the same level. We should look out for each other. You know who uh, Eugene's son, who is a uh, TV writer who works on some of the Marvel uh, animated shows, um, he was on Twitter the other day talking about networking. 
and you put networking in quotes because the whole idea is that if you're networking, then it's probably not working. But if you're meeting people who share an interest and who are coming up in the world, and yeah, he was talking about in college, the people he was hanging out with and doing creative stuff with in college, just because they were the cool people that he wanted to do stuff with, they were his friends, that those people eventually, they all grew and became people who helped each other out professionally. You know what I mean? You don't look in the want ads and see comic book writer wanted. You know what I mean? That's not this kind of job. It's very much where someone you know, hears about or says, oh, we need someone for this project, and then someone else says, hey, I know we'd be the perfect fit for that. You know, um, John Barber was a guy who was making webcomics at the same time I was back in 2001, and we both sort of commiserated that we liked each other's stuff, and we chatted back and forth. I didn't know that, like, 14 years later, John was going to be one of the lead editors at IDW, and when they were talking about the Dungeons & Dragons license, he goes, I know the biggest fantasy nerd, we got to get Jim, he's going to write this write the shit out of this book, but it just so happened that our mutual love of comics, you know, 13 years earlier, paid dividends I couldn't have possibly imagined, you know what I mean, a, that's the long game. Yeah, it's a long game, that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say, it's a long game, or a long con if you want to look at that. <laughs> okay, so sorry, yeah, the word networking threw me, because that sort of conjures the, like, the image of everyone sitting around, like, oh, you know, yeah. in a business lounge, and like, okay, here's a card for you, and a card for you, and a card that's for you, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, for me, it's, it is socializing. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was me and James Tynan going out, like, for lunch, like, the day after I was, you know, announced on, like, the Batman annual. Um, and, or, uh, or friends that I had, um, you know, in Scott's class, like, one of whom's now an assistant editor at Marvel, Christina Harrington, and who works with me in years of future past, um, like, you know, like, um, on this whole book. And, uh, you know, I guess, like, a big part of it was, like, don't be a hater. Like, you know, support, support good work, support good people. Um, but no, it's, I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, now echoing like the sentiments that have been shared because they've all run through. Um, you know, where, like, the, the folks that you start with, the folks who go through, you know, sort of like the foxhole with you, <laughs> um, or the people, you know, who are going to have your back for the rest of your career. Um, you know, there have been times, you know, where uh, creators, you know, they've, they've come up with projects or, you know, have, have gone through controversies um, that I might not have agreed with, but, like, I, I know that person now, you know, and I know what they're capable of, I know what the, the, the heights, and, like, you know, and I'll stay with them, and, you know, and have their back. When I said, you know, you're like the master network, and what I meant was, every time I've gone out with you in a group, it's like, you're gracious and you're kind and you're oh. supportive and you know everyone's name and you're, you're interacting and you're excited about the work, and that carries over. It has a really positive net effect. That is very you cool. and everyone around. Absolutely. Because when you said that, like, you know, it put me on the spot, I was like, I'm, I'm good at this because I sing a really good that. Johnny Cash karaoke. Here's, here's another thing that I think is so true. When you're on a creative journey, when you're on any kind of career-building sort of goal, you don't necessarily appreciate where you're at in the here and now. It can be very much a grass is greener type scenario where you're constantly looking and saying, I wish I was doing what that person was doing. I wish I was Greg Pack. I wish I was Charles Saul. I wish I was Marguerite Bennett. I wish I was doing you know, a particular project or a particular announcement or a big thing at this moment. And you, you can get, you can really build up a lot of kind of venom if you get overly concerned with that and you don't appreciate the strides that you're making in terms of your own growth, your own development, your own skills, and really appreciate where you're at. You know, if you are able to get a story published and you really relish that and use that momentum and that joy to build off of it to the next goal and the next thing. I find a lot of people, they get so obsessed with the next goal or the next milestone that they don't have any sense of their own current spot on the map. Bigger or smaller isn't necessarily better. I know that everyone wants to, you know, you may have these goals of working for the biggest companies or doing really big projects, but that doesn't necessarily, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio in terms of satisfaction. You can have very personal projects, very small projects, that hold a lot of meaning to you. You can do big corporate stuff and it might be amazing, but there's everything sort of in between. And I think as we go along this journey and you get different kind of opportunities, you sort of realize you've got to judge each kind of project and opportunity on its own merits. Yeah, yeah I, I think also, um, you know, it, 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 it took me almost 10 years to get from the point where I just, when I, when I made the decision that I mentioned at the beginning of the panel, like deciding I wanted to do this to when my first issue of Swamp Thing came out with DC, uh, but, but 
you know, so you think, oh my God, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to, to make it, so to speak. But really, every one of those, you like that was a blast the whole time. I mean, you're coming up, you're, you're hanging out with your buddies, you're all going through the same things. Uh, it's really great. So don't don't be afraid of the fact that it takes a huge amount of time, an endless amount of time and effort, and, and frustration, so, yeah, yeah. and money, and all of those things. <laughs> if it wasn't, I mean, you put yourself into it because you care, because you wanted to great work. Also, I mean, sometimes the dream project. It's very good that the dream project doesn't happen when you want it to happen. I've, I've, I've got a thing that I've been... It's sort of said about it. Yeah, well, no, because, you know, I've got a project that I wanted to do 20, literally 22 years ago. And uh, and hopefully we're going to announce it very soon. Um, but I'm so glad that I didn't do it back when I wanted to do it because, yeah, it's grown and I've grown and it's become something better, you know? So sometimes... You know, sometimes that stuff just needs to percolate. I know this sounds corny and it sounds very kind of, you know, self-help kind of whatever, but like your passion and your hard work do pay off. You may not necessarily get exactly what you want, when you want, the way you thought you were going to get it, but if you continue to work, opportunities will open up. A lot of the goals that I thought, I thought I was going to be a Disney animator when I started on this creative journey, and I didn't get to do that. But the opportunities that opened up because I worked hard and because I wanted to be that have been wonderful. And in a weird roundabout way, last year I did a Disney project. I wrote the Figment miniseries and I worked with the Disney Imagineers. And it was a weird kind of roundabout way of getting what I always wanted in a way I never imagined. You know what I mean? I think that's the kind of thing where you can't just, this isn't the kind of job where you're going to go, I want to be a firefighter, I go train to be a firefighter, I'm a firefighter. You're going to go and you're going to have all sorts of weird ups and downs and roller coaster ride, but the path and the hard work does lead you to something amazing. If you want to make comics, if you want to do this as a career, you've got to support great work. And create your own comics, live and die on your recommendations, your grassroots support, and you buying titles. If you want an industry to be there that's going to support you, you've got to support them. So find great books. Tell people about great books, share them with your friends, support this industry so it's there for you when you come around with your creative projects. Alright? So, we covered a lot of different stuff here. We've got our tables listed there on the side and our contact info. If you want to track us down on our websites or tweet us at some point or find us here at the show, we've got a few minutes, fleeting minutes, for a question if someone wants to come up to the mic and ask us something. Here we go. Alright. Hello. Um, first off, I want to say, Jim, I hope to be a fan of you soon. Cool. The three of you, I love everything you guys have done so far. Very kind, Misty. Um, and and um, something uh, that a friend of mine had joked about before was the idea that when you guys do finish up at the big companies, you, you kind of use it in your characters, so it's kind of your thing the way you should create your own stuff, you know, your own thing. So, of your creative own properties, what's your, like, favorite projects that you guys have done? Choose between your children. Yeah. Do it now. Uh, I, I love Lot 44. It's uh, the, the one that I mentioned about the president and the aliens. It's like uh, House of Cards in space. I just adore it. I've got uh, The Princess Who Saved Herself is the uh, children's book uh, that uh, actually is being sold here for the very first time. We did a Kickstarter for it. It's about a kick-ass proactive princess who's uh, in, a, in a big conflict over uh, her guitar playing. Uh, the, witch down the, the witch down the street doesn't like her guitar playing. Um, but uh, yeah, whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing right now, what I've, ju I've just done is always my favorite child. Um, and So we didn't have to go get approval from an editor. 
those particular projects just they you know I worked on them with Jonathan Colton, he was my partner. He's the guy who wrote the songs that those are based on. And uh, we agreed and then we did it. So that's the way that worked. I mean I did outlines, you know, so that we knew what we were doing. But uh, but that's the way that that works. For um, for the project that I'm hoping to announce really soon, it's been great to work with that editor because that was a project that I thought I understood. And I thought I had a really great grasp on, but the editor asked me like three really good questions and made me rethink a lot of stuff, and it's so much better now. So, um, you know, ideally you get, a, you get an editor who can see what it is that the project can be. You know, you get, it, you, you get the best pitch you can, the best outline you can, and then you work on it with the editor to make it even better. Rather than rushing into trying to finalize a perfect draft before the publisher has sort of had any input at all.
difficult thing that they're not necessarily ready for. They don't know how much it's going to take. And I'm not saying that every idea is equal, but you got to put good ideas out for work for hire. you got to put good ideas out for your own creator on stuff. And if you're a writer and you want to do this passionately, you got to consistently keep doing it. you got to keep building it and hopefully you know, improve that you're not you're not a flash in the pan or a one-shot idea. It's sort of an experience thing. The more you do it, the better you get at being able to tell which one to give and not to give, what's in the bag. And, I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest parts, but you, know, you get better out of the time. It's also just a gut thing. I mean, there are certain stories that I will, that I've saved, like this, 20, this, this project I'm talking about that I've had for 22 years. I've saved that for myself. At the same time, I freely give everything I have to my creator or work. You know what I mean? Like every idea that I come up with that will work for Superman, I'm giving to Superman. Because that's but the only it's way. For Superman. It's for Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That works for Superman. Right, exactly. Context. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm, but, but I have to give it everything yeah. in order to make it good. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, just yeah. if you're not, you know, you have to be A-plus to do it, right? You need to all right, we got to wrap it up. Thank you so much, everyone. We appreciate the support. Come see us, come chat with us, come ask us questions. Once again, it's uh, Amber Love back with you at amberunmasked.com. And that was the last panel that I have from Special Edition New York. And um, coming up next with Vodka O'Clock, you'll hear um, from another really great convention. At least I thought it was a really great convention. But um, remember that you can keep up with everything else, all the news coverage re- and recaps for things at uh, amberunmasked.com. You can sponsor the show and the website at patreon.com slash amberunmasked for as little as a dollar per week. Um, so thanks for listening. Don't forget that you can find me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. If you have any questions, you can leave them in the comments for this show.